0: Chapter 15 of The Legends and Myths of Hawaii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. The Legends and Myths of Hawaii by King David Kalakaua. Umi the peasant prince of hawaii part two section two the reign of Leola was as peaceful as that of Keha, his distinguished father he did not lack ability either as a civil or military leader however his pleasant and mirthful ways may have impressed to the contrary he was fond of good living Fine apparel and comely woman, yet he held the sceptre firmly and was prompt to punish wrongdoing in his chiefs or infringement of any of his prerogatives. Nevertheless, his heart was kind and he frequently forgave the humble who had crossed his shadow and the thoughtless who had violated the spirit of a royal taboo as he was distracted neither by domestic disturbance nor wars with neighboring kings Leola made frequent visits to the several districts of the island sometimes with an imposing retinue of chiefs and retainers but quite as often with no more than two or three trusty attendants sometimes he traveled incognito visiting suspected district chiefs to observe their methods of government and when occasion for rebuke occurred to their great confusion making himself known to them near the close of the year fourteen sixty before the annual festival of lono which inaugurated the beginning of a new year liola went with a large and brilliant party in gaily decked double canoes carrying the royal colors from waipio to kohalalele in hamakua to assist in the reconsecration of the old temple of manini the restoration and enlargement of which had just been completed he took with him his high priest leunui a band of musicians and dancers and his chief navigator and astrologer and the hiu was consecrated with unusual display leianui recited the kawalili the long prayer of consecration and twenty-four human victims were laid upon the altar ordering the party to return in the double canoes without him Leola resolved to make the journey overland to waipio with a single attendant and it is quite probable that it was something more than an accident that prompted the royal traveller to deviate from the shortest path to waipio and tarried for some hours in a pleasant grove of palms near kilakaha where dwelt with her old father one of the most beautiful maidens in all of hamakua the name of the girl was akiakuliana she was tall and slender and her dark hair which rippled down in wavelets shrouded her bare shoulders like a veil her eyes were soft and her voice was like the music of a mountain rivulet and when her bosom was bedecked with lays of fragrant blossoms it seemed that they must have grown there so much did she appear to be a part of them although in humble life akiha was really of raw blood since six generations back her paternal ancestor was Kuhu, a half-brother to kalapana from whom Leola drew his strain she knew the rank of her royal visitor and felt honoured that he should praise her beauty and when he kissed her lips at parting he left with her his marrow and the ivory clasp of his necklace at the same time whispering words in her ear which in a generation later transferred the sceptre of hawaii from the direct line to humbler but worthier hands before the trade winds came and went again the gentle akiha unwedded became a mother at first her father frowned upon the child but it was a strong and healthy boy who looked as if he might some day wield with uncommon vigour allow palu if not a battle axe and he soon became reconciled to the presence of the little intruder in those days it is proper to mention such events occasioned but little comment and entailed upon the mother neither social ostracism nor especial reproach the child was named umi and To give it a stronger protector than herself, Akiha became the wife of her cousin Makao, a strong, rough man who had always shown great affection for her, and who felt honoured in becoming the husband of one who might have taken her choice among many. The father of Akiha cultivated a Kaho patch, larger than his necessities really required and was abundantly supplied with pigs poultry gams bananas coconuts and breadfruit, which he was at all times enabled to exchange for fish crabs limpets and other products of the sea all land titles at that time vested either in the sovereign or the chief subject to him and the producer was frequently required to return to his landlord a full third or half of all his labor yielded sometimes the landowner was more liberal with his tenants but quite as often he took to the extent of his need or greed with no one to challenge the injustice of his demands but the bit of land occupied by the father of akiha was part of a large tract reserved for the benefit of the king and because of the alley blood with which he was credited but of which he made no boast the rent he returned was merely nominal when umi was about ten years of age the father of akiha died leaving his little estate to his daughter she had two brothers living both older than herself but the cultivation of the soil was not congenial to them and as there had been no wars of moment in hawaii for nearly two generations one of them who had been a dreamer from his youth had been inducted into the service of the gods by the high priest lianui to whom Leola had given in perpetuity the possession of kikaha in the district of kona and was otherwise influential while the second brother on reaching manhood had gone with spear and sling to maui and risen to distinction in the military service of the moi of that island so akiha and her husband continued to occupy unmolested the old plantation but the agents who collected the revenues of the king were less liberal with makeo than they had been with the father of his wife and he was compelled to make the same rent returns as other royal tenants nor this alone a portion of their land had been given to another embracing a little grove of hawanee or coca trees some of which it was averred had been planted by the stewards of the pili nearly four centuries before And their depleted stocks of pigs and fowls ceased to be the envy of their neighbors this harsh dealing with akia and her husband it is needless to say was done without the knowledge of the king but they feared to complain lest they might be despoiled of the little left them and deemed it prudent to suffer in silence rather than arouse the wrath of an agent of whose powers they knew not the extent there were other little mouths to feed besides umis and as the years came and went with their scant harvests makao became more and more discontented but with a hope in her heart of which makao knew nothing a toiled on without complaint year by year she saw umi developing into manhood and noted that in thought habit and bearing he was different from others umi loved his mother and was not unkind to Makeo, but he spent much of his time by the seashore where the great waves thundered against the cliffs and in the hills where among the ohia and sandal trees the trade winds whispered to him of the unknown he would climb to the crown of the tallest coca tree because there was danger in it and buffet the fiercest waves in his frail canoe but neither threat nor persuasion could ever induce him to delve in the slime of the callow patch or plant a row of yams. He would bring fish from the sea and fruits from the mountains, but could not be prevailed upon to till the soil. He fashioned spears of cunning workmanship, and from the teeth of sharks made knives of double edge, but to the implements of husbandry he gave but little note. At the age of sixteen, Umi had reached almost the proportions of a man his limbs were strong his features manly and handsome his eyes clear and full of expression and in athletic sports and the use of arms he had no equal among his companions his habits brought around him but few friends yet his kindness to all left no pretext for enmity and while some said he absented himself from home in a spirit of idleness, others shook their heads and ventured the opinion that he visited the recesses of the wooded hills alone to converse with the Kini Akua and learn wisdom from the gods. And this strange conduct, it may well be imagined, was made, the subject of frequent discussion in the neighborhood for macao complained continually of his idleness and but for the intercessions of the mother who alone was able to account for his peculiarities would have closed his doors against him but umi had a few friends to extol his goodness and defend him against unkind insinuation and among them were Miawa and omakuma youths of about his age and kulamia the younger and only sister of the latter from childhood these friends had been his frequent companions and as he grew to manhood strong-limbed resolute and gentle they learned to regard him with a love prepared for any sacrifice kulamiya was a bright-eyed dusky little fairy who often accompanied umi and her brother in their rambles they patted her until she became an exacting little tyrant and then umi at her command made toys for her climbed the tallest coca trees and scaled the steepest cliffs in search of flowers and berries that she liked and in return for these kindnesses what at age of fifteen could Kulamea do but love almost to idol tree the brave and gentle companion who had developed into a splendid manhood and what could umi do at twenty but return in kind the devotion of one now ripening into a charming womanhood whose childish friendship was the brightest sunshine that had ever flecked the landscape of his dreamy life with a feeling of uneasiness akahia watched umi's growing love for kulamiya and when at twenty he would have married her much to the gratification of Makio, she kindly but firmly said to her son, Be not in haste to flutter your free limbs. Be patient as I have been for twenty years. Kulamiya is worthy, but wait. Why wait? exclaimed Makio, suddenly appearing. He had been listening without the door. Why should he wait? he continued. He has all his life been idle, and it is time that he should have a house of his own. You have spoken well, replied Umi, drawing himself up to his full height, and looking scornfully down upon the husband of his mother. You have spoken well, Makao. It is time indeed that I stop this dreaming. I will never eat food again under your roof. Now get you to your callow patch. You will find occupation there befitting you. I will seek other means of living. With these scornful words, Umi strode hotly from the house. Enraged at the insult, Makeo seized a lao palu or large callow knife, and sprang after him umi turned and reached for his pahua makao raised his weapon to strike but it dropped to the earth as if a paralysis had seized his arm as akihia sprang before him exclaiming do not dare to strike he is not your son he is your chief down on your knees before him to the dismay of makao and profound astonishment of umi akahia then revealed the secret of umi's birth and taking from their hiding place the keepsakes left with her by liloa said as she handed them to her son your father is king of hawaii go to him in person and place these mementos before him Tell him Akihiakuliana returns them to him by the hands of his and her son, who is worthy of him, and he will own you, to be the child of his love. He is noble and will hold sacred his royal pledge. This should have been done long ago, but I could not bring my heart to part with you. Go! and may the gods be your protection and your guide. The strange revelation was soon known throughout the neighborhood, and Umi prepared for his journey to Waipio. How should he appear before Liloa, whose will was law and whose frown was death? In what guise should he seek the presence of his royal father? an ali kapu answered akahia proudly then from an ipu she brought forth a plumed helmet and cape of the feathers of the oo which she had secretly fabricated with her own hands and placed them upon the head and shoulders of her son to kulamea alone was the news of what had befallen umi unwelcome she would have been more than content to share with him the common lot but now that he was about to be recognized as the son of the great lilola she felt that he, they were soon to part for ever other alliances would be found for him and he would forget the humble playmate of his youth who loved him not because his father was a king but because they had grown up together and neither of them could help it. So when, two days after, Umi started overland for Waipio, accompanied by his two trusty friends, Pimaiwa and Omakumao, Kulamea secreted herself to avoid the agony of a parting farewell from Umi, but he found her nevertheless and made her happy by kissing and telling her that whatever might be his future she should share it and she believed him for he had never deceived her umi and his companions arrived in waipio valley at nightfall there they remained during the night and the next morning crossed the little stream of wailoa near which was the royal mansion there umi left his companions and proceeded alone to the palace enclosure his head was adorned with a helmet surmounted with white and scarlet plumes and from his broad shoulders hung a cape of yellow feathers such as an ally alone was permitted to wear while around his loins was fastened the marrow left with a by the king and the ivory clasp ornamented a necklace of rare and beautiful shells. In his hand he bore an ihe or javelin, of unusual weight and exquisite finish, and many eyes followed him as he approached the palace, for, although a stranger, it was manifest from his dress and bearing that he did not belong to the Ma-ken- anna or common people his mother had instructed him to seek the presence of the king in the most direct manner that occasion presented and without asking the permission or assistance of any one fearing no doubt that to gain admission to the royal halley he might exhibit and in some manner lose possession of the sole evidence of his paternity and thus received the punishment of an impostor he therefore passed by without seeking to enter the gate of the enclosure around which were lounging a score or more of sentinels and retainers and proceeding to the rear of the mansion leaped over the high wall immediately back and within a hundred paces of the private apartments of the king Having thus violated a rule of royal etiquette, the penalty of which was death, unless mitigated by satisfactory explanation, Umi grasped his Ihi firmly, determined, should he be opposed, to fight his way to the royal presence. It was a desperate resolution, but he had faith in himself, and was without fear his movements had been watched as he passed the gate of the enclosure without a word and as he sprung over the wall he found a number of uplifted spears between him and the entrances to the mansion nerving himself for the worst he strode past the interposing weapons strongly hurling their points aside when too closely presented and in a moment stood at the back entrance of the palace through which no one but of the royal household was permitted to enter the audacity saved him from more determined opposition since it seemed incredible that any one not possessing the confidence of the king would take such double hazard of his life stepping within the entrance umi turned and with a half-amused smile at the baffled guard now clamoring around the door struck the handle of his javelin firmly into the ground and walked unarmed into the presence of the king as umi entered unannounced the king had just finished his morning repast and was lounging on a couch of many folds of kappa, unintended except for his spittoon-bearer and two half-grown boys with kahilis. Astounded at the intrusion, the king rose to a sitting posture, and with a frown upon his face was about to speak, when Umi stepped to the couch and boldly seated himself in the lap of liloa although past sixty the king still retained a goodly share of his earlier vigor and throwing umi from his knees angrily exclaimed audacious slave how dare you umi rose to his feet and standing proudly before the king with folded arms replied the son of liloa dare do anything for a moment the king did not speak he looked into the face of the undaunted young stranger and noted that it was noble and then his thoughts went back to Kialakiha and to the fair young girl of better than common blood whom he had met there many years before while journeying to Waipio after consecrating the temple of Manini and finally, almost as in a dream, to the pledge he had given and the tokens he had left with her. When all this came back to him, he cast his eyes over the calmly youth, and beheld his marrow around the loins of Umi, and the ivory clasp of the necklace upon his breast he could scarcely doubt yet as if he had recollected nothing seen nothing he calmly but kindly said young man you claim to be my son if so tell me of your mother and of the errand that brings you here umi bowed and answered my mother o king is a kualina of La Kiha, and my years were twenty at the last ripening of the ohias for the first time four days ago she told me i was the son of the king of hawaii and to take to him this marrow and this ivory clasp and he would not disown me you are liloa the honored sovereign of hawaii i am umi the humble son of akiha kuilana from the hands of my mother i have brought to you this marrow and this ornament of bone if i am your son seat me beside you on the kappa if not order my body to the heiau as a sacrifice to the gods there was a struggle in the breast of the king, and his eyes were bent upon the bold youth with an expression of pride and tenderness as he said, How did you gain admission here alone and unannounced? By leaping over the wall of the palihao and beating down the spears of your guards, replied umi modestly. It was a dangerous undertaking, suggested the king feigning a frown which wrinkled into a smile upon his lips. Had you no fear? I am still young and have not yet learned to fear, returned Umi, with an air of self-reproach. Such words could come alone from a heart ennobled by the blood of Pili Kani. You are indeed the son of Leola exclaimed the king with emotion stretching forth his hand and seating umi beside him not these tokens alone but your face and bearing show it and he put his arms around the neck of his son and kissed him and ordered a repast which they ate together while umi related to his royal father the simple events of his humble life as the strange entrance of umi into the royal mansion had attracted much attention many of the privileged retainers and officers of the court soon gathered in and around the palace and the rank and possible purposes of the visitor were undergoing an earnest discussion especially after it was learned that he was breakfasting with the king when haku the only recognized son of liloa and heir presumptive to the throne suddenly appeared and sought the presence of his royal father there was a dark scowl on the face of haku on entering the room and observing a stranger in close conversation with the king and eating from the same vessels nor did it disappear when liloa presented umi to him as his own son and haku's half-brother umi rose and frankly offered his brother the hand of friendship and affection but the grasp and recognition of haku were cold and when he was invited to sit down and partake of meat with his newly found brother he excused himself with the falsehood that he had just risen from his morning meal after a few words with the king during which he closely scrutinized umi's handsome face and manly form haiku withdrew leaving no token in word or look of any feeling of joy at the meeting although the kings of the hawaiian group at that time usually had from two to six wives either marriages of the heart or alliances with the families of neighboring kings to strengthen their dynasties tradition has given to liloa but one recognized wife she was penia a maui chiefess of family distinction who gave to Liloa a son and one daughter, Haku and Kapukini. Haku had reached his thirteenth year and had married the daughter of the chief and high priest, Pai. They had one child, a daughter, who had been given the name of her grandmother, Penea. Kini had not quite reached womanhood, and was the idol of the court haku was a large well-visaged man but was haughty selfish and cruel having been until the sudden appearance of umi at the court the only recognized son of liloa his caprices had been humored until his heartlessness and tyranny had become almost a byword in hamakua but the truth seems to be that he was naturally vicious and barbarous and tradition speaks of no greater tyrant among the rulers of hawaii heedless of the rights of property without return he took from others whatever he coveted and in an insanity of pride and criminal envy caused to be secretly slain or disfigured such as were reputed to surpass him in personal beauty without giving note or credence to the many tales of barbarism with which tradition has connected to his name it is doubtless true that his cruelty and contempt for the rights of his subjects rendered him an unfit successor of the gentle and sagacious liloa under whose reign the humblest were protected and peace and prosperity prevailed throughout the six districts of the island no further explanation of haku's freezing reception of umi is required he was envious of his handsome face and noble bearing and hated him because of the love with which his father manifestly regarded him but Haku's feelings in the matter were not consulted and the day following umi was conducted to the temple of pakalani in great pomp where to the solemn music of chant and sacred drum the officiating priest with the newly found son of the king went through the form of oki kapiko A ceremony attending the birth of the children of royalty and umi was formally and publicly recognized as his son by the king of hawaii haku was compelled with great bitterness of heart to witness this ceremony but was too discreet to openly manifest his displeasure returning to the palace umi was formally presented to the royal household and heralds proclaimed his rank and investiture of the taboos to which he was entitled. Although the mother of Haku, Penea, received him kindly, and Kapukinini was more than delighted with her new and handsome brother, she clung to his hand, and artlessly declared that Haku was cross with her and that she had prayed to the gods to send her another brother just such as one as umi and they had done so soon after a great feast was given by the king in honor of the new heir and all the leading chiefs in the kingdom were invited to come and pay their respects to him twelve hundred chiefs were present and the feasting and rejoicing continued for three days interspersed with games and athletic sports in which umi shone with great splendor in feats of strength and the skillful handling of arms he had few equals in all that great and distinguished gathering and in conversations with the old he exhibited so much wisdom and prudence of speech that they wondered who had been his tutors and when they learned that he had been taught by no one that the greater part of his young life had been passed in solitude some of them thought the gods must have instructed him and all admitted that he was a worthy son of liloa and an honour to the royal line Umi was thus firmly established at the court of his royal father, and adequate revenues were set apart for his proper maintenance and that of a retinue befitting his high rank. His friends Pimaewa and Omakumau, who were overjoyed at his good fortune, entered his service as his personal and confidential friends and thenceforth became identified with his career always appearing as the most faithful and self-sacrificing of his adherents in a week after the arrival at waipio umi sent omakumau back to their old home with the news of his recognition by the king he also bore an order enlarging the area of Makao, and akihia's possessions and relieving them from rent and all other tenant charges nor did he forget kulamea he sent her a little present in token of his love and word that although it could not safely be so then some day in the future she should be nearer to him even though he might become the king of hawaii the token was dear to her and dearer still his words for she knew the heart of umi and did not doubt and thenceforth she lived and patiently waited for him keeping her own secret and firmly saying no to the many who sought her in marriage umi's affability and intelligence soon made him a great favorite at the court and steadily endeared him to his father, but in proportion as he grew in the favour of others, Haku's hatred for him increased, and but for the fear of his father would have manifested itself in open hostility but Leola, who was growing old and feeble through a cureless malady, had not yet designated his successor and haku deemed it prudent to make no outward showing of the intense envy and dislike of his brother which he was secretly nursing and which he resolved should be gratified when the reins of government passed into his hands in a little less than two years after the recognition of umi the black kappa covered liola When he felt the end approaching, he called his two sons before him and publicly gave the charge of the government and the title of moi to Haku and the custody of the gods and temples to Umi. You are to be the ruler of Hawaii, he said to Haku, and Umi is to be your counselor. There was grief all over the kingdom when the death of Liloa became known, for he was greatly beloved, and that his bones might never be desecrated, the high priest Pai'i, whose daughter Hakau had married, secretly conveyed them to the Kona coast and consigned them to the deep waters off Kikaha this was in accordance with the custom of the time in fact with the custom of earlier and later years for the resting place of the bones of kamehameha I, who died in eighteen nineteen is unknown a story survives that the remains of this eminent chief were entombed in the sea but the more popular belief is that they were secretly conveyed to a cave or other place prepared for them in the hills back of Kailua on the island of Hawaii and there hidden forever from mortal gaze. In connection with this belief, it is stated that just before daylight, on the morning following the night of the death of Kamehameha, one of his near friends while the guard had been removed to afford the opportunity took the bones of his beloved chief upon his shoulders and alone and unseen conveyed them to their secret returning he encountered two natives who were preparing for the labors of the day fearing that he had been followed he inquired whether they had observed any one passing toward the hills that morning they declared that they had seen no one had they answered differently he would have slain them both on the spot that their secret might have died with them the name of this chief was hululu he had been dead for many years and although he left children to one of whom the secret may have been imparted in accordance with native custom in such matters it is now believed that all knowledge of the depository of the remains of the first kamehameha is lost in eighteen fifty three when the necessity of hiding the bones of distinguished chiefs was no longer recognized kamehameha the third visited kailua and almost prevailed upon hulu to point out the spot they even started toward the hills for that purpose but as quite a number of persons were observed to be following holulu declined to proceed and could never after be induced to divulge anything so fearful were the ancient chiefs of hawaii that some indignity might be offered to their remains after death for instance that charmed fish-hooks or arrow-points for shooting mice might be made from their bones, that they were invariably hidden by their surviving friends, sometimes in the depths of the ocean, and quite as frequently, perhaps, in the dark recesses of volcanic caverns, with which the islands abound immediately after kamehameha i had breathed his last his friend kalimoku assembled the principal chiefs around the body to consider what should be done with it in his great admiration for the dead chief one of them solemnly said this is my thought we will eat him raw but the body was left to leo leo son and successor of the dead king who with his queen kameamealu died while on a visit to england in eighteen twenty four the bones of no hawaiian chief were ever more securely hidden than were those of the distinguished Nui kuali who ruled with a strong arm the turbulent factions of the island of oahu some two centuries back after the flesh had been stripped from the bones they were given in charge of a trusty friend to be secreted and most effectually did he accomplish the delicate task assigned him he had them pulverized to a fine powder which he mixed with the poi to be served at the funeral feast to be given to the principal chiefs the day following at the close of the repast when asked if he had secreted the bones of the dead chief to his satisfaction he grimly replied hidden indeed are the bones of kuali they have been deposited in a hundred living sculptors you have eaten them but we are wandering somewhat from our story the day after the death of liloa haku was ceremoniously invested with supreme authority while the high priest lianui gave formal recognition to umi as guardian of the gods and temples both events were celebrated with display and sacrifice but it is said that the scream of the alae, a sacred bird of evil omen was heard around the palace all through the night that Haku first slept there as king and that as umi entered the temple of Pakalini to assume the guardianship of the gods the head of the great image of lono near the door of the inner temple nodded approvingly independently of umi's position as prime minister or royal advisor his authority as guardian of the gods and temples was second only to that of king and haku chafed under a bequest that had clothed his brother with a power little less than his own and placed him so near the throne the consequence was that he seldom invited him to his councils and secretly sought to cast discredit upon his acts as the nominal head of the priesthood but umi bore himself so nobly that haku's venom brought no poison to him and the petty persecutions to which he was subjected not only failed to injure him but actually added to his popularity with those who had felt the barbarity of his brother whose first acts on coming to power were to dismiss disrate and impoverish many of the old and faithful servants and counsellors of his father and surround himself with a party of unscrupulous retainers as cruel and treacherous as himself Enraged that his secret and cowardly slanders of Umi failed to bring him into disrespect, Haku's hostility began to assume a more open and brutal form. He publicly reviled his brother for his low birth, and assumed not only that Leola was not his father, but that his mother was a woman without any distinction of blood unable to bear these taunts and not deeming it prudent to precipitate an open rupture with his brother umi quietly left waipio with his two friends Maiwa and omakumawa and travelling through hamakua without stopping at kilakaha where dwelt his mother and kulamia proceeded at once to waipunale near laupahoho in the district of hilo where he concluded to remain for a time and await the development of events to support themselves umi and his two friends devoted a portion of their time to fishing bird catching and the making of canoes spears and other weapons and although the rank of umi was studiously concealed his intelligence skillful use of arms and general bearing could not fail to attract attention and excite the curiosity of his humble associates not unfrequently strangers would prostrate themselves before him so profoundly were they impressed with his appearance but he declined to accept their homage and smilingly assured them that he was born and reared like themselves in a humble life as a further precaution against recognition he carefully avoided the prominent chiefs of the district deeming it probable that some of them had seen him in waipio or even witnessed the ceremonies attending his acceptance as a son of Leola. End of chapter fifteen recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, b c